Hey, this is Gerd Handel, and welcome to the Inner Light Project. This show is for anyone who's wanting to lead a happier, healthier, and enlightened life. Create more self-love. Inject more joy and abundance into their daily life. Join me for inspiring interviews and spiritual topics so you can shine your inner light. Hello and welcome to the Inner Light Project. My name is Gerd Hundle and today I want to share with you someone who's helping people to heal their trauma, regulate their emotions and heal their inner child and have boundaries as an empath. Dr. Anna Kress is a licensed clinical psychologist with almost 20 years of experience providing psychotherapy. She's helped people who struggle with anxiety, depression and trauma, and she believes we can all heal our past. Hi, Dr. Anna. I'm just grateful to have you on the show and thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to talk to you today. Oh, I am as well. Just we've been talking earlier and just, I'm <laughs> like, this is just going to be such a powerful interview. Yeah, I'm so excited to talk about um, everything, you know, uh, related to empaths and and all of the healing type of work that uh, I do with clients. So excited. Oh, bless you. And I want you to come, I want to start off originally at the beginning about like what your life was like before you became a psychologist. Yeah, well, it's interesting because, um, you know, my sort of empath journey is what led me to become a psychologist. Mm. So um, I was one of those people who, you know, you could probably descri- describe as highly sensitive, you know, HSP, who, you know, even as a baby sort of born kind of, you know, with the sensitive nervous system, kind of like lights and sounds and things like that, um, really, uh, you know, kind of more hard to soothe, I guess, more difficult in a sense, yeah. I'm sure for for my parents. Um, and so I kind of, you know, was was born that way. And Um, But then, you know, at the age of seven, I started to, we moved to the inner city and we, I lived there for many, many years. And so, you know, I was very aware that I was sensitive and and emotionally kind of um, just very aware of everyone's emotions around me and kind of uh, picking those things up. Mm. But because I lived in the inner city, you know, there was a lot of crime and things like that. I actually had to kind of hide that. That was not, that would not be smart for me to, um, you know, to have that sort of wear my heart on my sleeve in that environment. So, you know, as many empaths, I kind of had uh, ways that I coped, which was, you know, many empaths kind of like find ways to shut down, whether that's, you know, um, addictions or kind of being tough or, you know, different ways to shut it down. For me, it was a lot of being very aloof in the outside world, you know, very like Mm -hmm. cold and distant and things like that. And then also, you know, what I call like, well, what's called uh, cognitive bypassing and spiritual bypassing. So cognitive bypassing, like as a teen, I just loved reading and, you know, nonfiction books like psychology, spirituality, things like that. And I thought, well, if I understand feelings from a very intellectual perspective, then I'm feeling things, you know, Mm. but it was very intellectual. And then spiritually bypassing, because I would meditate for like, you know, an hour or two a day, I was really into meditation, um, which I continue to do now, but at a more reasonable pace, you know, um, (laughs) You know, so that's how I coped with it. And, you know, those were great for my nervous system to have that kind of break, you know, mm-hmm. to meditate a lot and exercise and do these, you know, very healthy things. But, you know, when you start shutting down that emotional sensitivity, you're really losing that richness. Yeah. 
that I think that sensitivity can give your life. And it's so empowering when you do take that back. So when I um, was somewhere in the 90s uh, as a teenager, the first time I heard the word empath was, or read it actually, was in a book by Dr. Judith Orloff. Oh, yeah. You know, um, you know, she's, of course, like written every book on empaths. Um, <laughs> and I love her books. And I've, I've done a ton of trainings with her. Um, she's amazing. And the book was called Second Sight. And it was about her journey as an intuitive and an empath. Um, although she, I think she calls it like psychic empath or something at that point um, mm. in the book. So it's a little bit of a different um, perspective on it. But when I read that, I was like, oh my God, I feel so seen. And it was so validating. And I was like, wow, she's a psychiatrist at UCLA. And she's, you know, really, you know, bridging these two worlds of, you know, being an intuitive, spiritual kind of empath person, and also being a psychiatrist, very traditionally trained. So I thought that's amazing. And that's what actually inspired me to become a therapist, a psychologist. And so, you know, I've adapted her kind of trainings and and, uh, work with empaths in my own work over the last like 20 years of being a therapist. So that's sort of uh, how I got here. Of course, it's always a long journey of continued personal growth. So there are definitely, you know, still areas where I'm like, okay, I'm still going to work on that, you know. (laughs) Um, But that's kind of where it started. Wow. I totally relate with what you're saying about how we have to kind of put up on the front as an empath. And I think that kind of comes from when we're really young, right? So Mm. we're told to kind of shut down our emotions, toughen up, and fit into society. And if we cry in front of others, we're seen as weak. And I think somewhere we quickly learn as empaths that we need to have a harder exterior because if we show our true self, people are really going to hurt us. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting too, because like, in addition to like that shutdown that you're describing, I think one of the other common responses to is, you know, if someone's not shutting it down is to try to save everyone, you know, to try to like, if I could take care of everyone, if I could fix every, you know, one, if I could regulate everyone's emotions and do all the emotional labor and heal Mm -hmm. everyone, then I will feel better. And then it's also, you know, a way to self-protect because if you're absorbing people's emotions and the people around you, are experiencing a lot of negative emotions or, mm. or you know, difficult, painful emotions, then, you know, that's actually harder on you. So in some ways it's a benefit to try to, you know, make your environment a little bit better, but it really comes at a cost. Yeah. You know, th- that's where codependency can sort of happen. I totally relate because that was me growing up. I was the type of person that listened to everyone's problems, probably from the age of eight, funny enough. (laughs) Adults would come to me and they'd be like, oh, I feel better after speaking to you. And then I would absorb it. And then when I was studying journalism, (laughs) this is my old personality, but I was working in a pharmacy um, (laughs) dispensing medicines (laughs) (laughs) because I wanted to help people. So that was my way of helping people. However, when I would be giving them the medication, I laugh because the pharmacist would say, what are you doing? And I'd say, why? Because the moment somebody would, I would hand over the prescription or, or their medication, they would tell me their life story. And right. like, the pharmacists are like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm not doing anything. I'm just stood here. But people seem to be telling me their problems. Right. And then they'd be like, oh, I feel better. And the same happened throughout my whole life. Like when I was at university, friends would call me up to like 3 a.m. in the morning. I felt like saving them. But the reality was for me was that that, like you said, it was my escapism from actually facing my own pain because there was a lot of pain in my childhood that I wasn't ready to acknowledge. 
And it took till my mid twenties to actually wake up and realize, no, it's time for me to heal. Um, and I feel a lot of empaths do that when we've grown up, well, not all of us, but some who have grown up with a lot of trauma growing up as a child or a family member has not been well. Um, we tend to kind of brush our feelings under the carpet because we've been made right. from a young age to believe that what we feel is ir- irrelevant and the other person's emotions are more important than ours. Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of empaths are, are, are sort of put in that caretaker role growing up and you know like the the causes of being an empath um you know it's sort of if it comes it comes down to like three causes typically one is like temperament and genetics Mm. so you can be sort of born in in, as a baby very you know sensitive um the second one is trauma like you're describing you know being put in that caretaker role you know whether it's because someone is ill like physically or or mentally you know if there's abuse or neglect um you know, and the the third reason is there's a combination of both, you know, so sometimes it's because you're already sensitive (laughs) and you notice that someone maybe isn't so healthy around you and it's easier to, you know, do what's like, uh, you know, called a fond trauma response. You know, you, we have the three, the four different, um, uh, stress responses, fight, flight, freeze, and fawn. And Mm. a lot of empaths tend towards that fawn trauma response, it's a trauma response when it's chronic. So where, you know, there's a lot of people pleasing, accommodating, caretaking, putting your own needs aside. And so often there is a combination of like that genetic kind of predisposition and also having that trauma history where Mm. um, you feel the need to, to care for others because that's the way to stay safe (laughs) in that situation. That's, that's the adaptive thing to do. Yeah. 100% and I was just you just reminded me of something actually um with my own childhood and I think a lot of empaths have this as well where you get told as a young age to go hug that auntie or uncle but you don't want to but you get forced so in that Mm. moment you're kind of ignoring your needs but as an empath and especially as a a child empath you've then absorbed that other people like other person's emotion so the reason why you didn't want to go near them was because they didn't want their energy Yeah. Yeah. And, and often too, you know, like, you know, we often talk about like empaths and and narcissists, you know, and the relationship between the two, because, you know, um, narcissists are, you know, often in those situations where there's like someone who's very authoritarian Mm. telling you what to do and literally taking your power away as a child, rather than understanding and and validating your feelings or having the empathy, Mm. you know, and especially with someone who's sensitive, a sensitive child, you want to have a little extra empathy, if anything, <laughs> rather than being sort of um, authoritarian or sort of self-absorbed as a caregiver. So I think it's very tricky because, you know, a lot of empaths did have narcissistic parents. Not mm. always the case, yeah. but there was, you know, that's often the case. And, you know, the problem is that we're biologically driven to attach to our caregivers, even if there's a source of pain. So, you know, that's called attachment to the perpetrator or a trauma bond. If it's someone who is maybe, you know, narcissistic or unhealthy for us um, or abusive or all of the above, you know. Um, So, you know, that can happen where we start seeking those kind of relationships or getting entangled in those kind of relationships as adults with narcissists for empaths, you know, because, you know, an empath can be an endless supply of compassion and forgiveness and kind of seeing the good in people. 
And a narcissist is looking for someone to always idealize them, Mm. to, you know, give them attention, to um, fulfill their needs. Mm. And so it would naturally fit until, you know, um, uh, an empath actually starts doing that healing work where they start actually providing the needs to their own inner child, that maybe that inner child is still looking Mm. for um, that healing around, you know, that caretaker, you know, let's say it's a narcissist, um, validating them or giving them love. So rather than seeking that in relationships where it's likely not going to happen with, you know, very toxic relationships, to be able to, as an empath, give that to yourself, to your own inner child. That's the work that I tend to, that I, you know, often do with clients. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. I, I, well, there were so many nuggets there. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just absorbing it all in. And I, I was just thinking, actually, when you were saying everything that people think, I think as well, empaths don't realize it's not just emotional abuse. It can be physical abuse. It can be financial abuse. Right. And, you know, it can even also be sexual abuse. It's, sure. it's, it's, there are so many different layers to abuse when it, com- when it comes to narcissists with empaths as well. Um, that a lot of people, te- and I've noticed it with like some of my clients as well, like with being empaths, they are like, it could be like financially abusive in the sense like, their parents are like oh no don't worry about it we'll be mm-hmm. fine and that parent will always say that but then if the child or the adult doesn't do what they say then they're like we're going to cut you off and there's this manipulation mm-hmm. game and I think a lot of empaths feel this because they are a family member or a friend or whoever it is or a partner they feel like they can help them change but re- the reality yes. is they can't <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And and at the end of the day, it's all about allowing other people to have their own journey. And you really can't heal other people, you know, they have to do their own healing. And especially with like, it's interesting with narcissists, you know, there's that initial stage of love bombing, Mm. where there's so much charm, there's so much attention. (laughs) And I think it's easy for people to get sort of sucked into that. Obviously, there's a reason for that. And then then the criticism and all the other things sort of come later. So it's, you know, I think it's really important to look for red flags. Like if you're being charmed to maybe Mm. be cautious around that, you know, to wonder like, what is, why is someone charming you so much? Um, Yeah. And, you know, to not, to not try to do someone else's work for them. You can't heal someone. You can't fix someone. I almost, I almost believe, and this is just from my personal like experiences and with clients and people over the years that, if you try to fix or save somebody, you actually take on their karma. So actually you're absorbing mm. more of their trauma, which then certain things happen in your life after. I've, I've seen this happen before. Mm. What's your thought on that? I'm just, just curious. <laughs> yeah, I think it gets, gets so complicated because what's interesting about like, I think empaths is they tend to internalize emotions. So mm. they'll take on other people's shame, other people's, you know, self blame. They'll blame themselves for things. Yeah that aren't theirs, which, you know, when you think about narcissists, it's it's literally the complete opposite. They, they're not internalizers, they're externalizers. So they blame everyone else. And Mm -hmm. so it's so easy for an empath, I think, to take on so many different things that really aren't theirs. And so like one strategy for that is to, you know, if you're doing anything like what you're kind of describing sort of like energy work and, you know, what Dr. Judith Orloff um, talks a lot about like protection and different strategies for empaths. And I think it's important to, um, you know, at the end of the day, for an empath to sort of return that energy 
to the other person to if they mm. picked up any any energy throughout the day to just like return that energy to do some kind of like centering practice or meditation where you're imagining like all of that energy kind of leaving you and that way you're not kind of stuck with it yeah I get what you mean like any um cord cutting so yes. like cutting the cords of the other person's emotions that you've absorbed for the day um, absolutely because that is so important and I don't know if the same with yourself but like I spent years taking on other people's trauma and I had like you said the shame the guilt of what the other person was thinking but it wasn't even my stuff but right. because I hadn't had the tools to know what to do at that point in my life I was then thinking that's my story and then I would mm. track relationships with those things happening and I think what's happened to me I'm not like that but it's because it was so stuck and knotted in my belly that I didn't know how to release it at that point yeah and it's interesting too because I think the areas where we get especially stuck and the types of emotions that we especially I think pick up and and sort of absorb from other people are the very ones that maybe we haven't worked on or Mm. healed so let's say it's an anxiety you know um like I've worked on anxiety quite a bit, just any kind of anxiety that's you know natural that we might experience. And so when I'm with someone who's who's anxious, um, and of course it's different in my work. Like I don't pick up emotions in my work because I have very clear boundaries there. Yeah. But like in your own life, it's of course a little more tricky. Yeah. But um, in your personal life, so with anxiety, I'm not I'm going to be able to hold space very easily and not pick up on anxiety. But let's say it's anger or something like that. Yeah. Um, I might be like, okay, well now I have to like actually like work with strategies here mm-hmm. because anger might be a little bit tougher for me. And so um, I think it depends on which emotions you've worked with. Like, let's say it's like grief or sadness. You might pick up more of that if you haven't worked through that on your own. Oh, so yeah. it really, I think um, those are the areas where we might notice we're more triggered. Like I'll give you an example. It's a little bit out there it's serious but it's because it was a time in my life where I was work I was a workaholic I was working on my business um I had like my my aha moment and then a few years later I was working on my business at that point but not learning balance at that point (laughs) and I heard a loud thud from uh, outside my balcony in my bedroom and it turned out somebody had um committed suicide and I saw blood pouring from the sides and I absorbed all that pain but I didn't know I'd absorbed it so I remember the next day feeling like I don't want to be in this world Mm -hmm. and I was like that's not like me that's really weird and so um it took a like obviously years later now I was like whoa okay that makes sense now I know why that was happening but at that point in my life where I hadn't known about empath energy or protection or healing I suddenly started to feel like I was grieving. I was sad. And I think a lot of empaths don't realize that in the sense that whatever that person you're talking to or emotions, and if you've not protected yourself up at that point, you will then absorb it. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a really, I think, um, really vivid example of what that process (laughs) looks like, right? But I think it happens so subtly all the time too. But yeah, and I think, you know, in, um, you know, as a training, being trained as a therapist, you know, way in the beginning, it was such an interesting process to notice because you're trained to notice these things as a therapist, which is great and why it's, you know, easier to have so many tools at your disposal. Um, But to be trained to recognize like when you're starting to think a certain way or feel a certain way that you're not used to, Mm. um, you can ask yourself like, is this mine? Yeah. 
And it's so helpful as a therapist to know how someone else feels that it gives you great information, but you don't have to keep it, you know, mm. or eventually you don't pick it up as, as, as much in terms of like absorbing it, but you do notice it. Um, but I think it can be such a, such a strange experience when you don't realize like what an empath is, when you don't recognize it. Um, it can be really um, difficult because I think you can feel like you have all kinds of symptoms, like you have anxiety, you have depression, but really maybe it's someone in your life yeah. who has that anxiety or depression. Um, or like, I don't know about if you've noticed, but like some empaths are like, I've tried everything like before they come to us. Like, I've tried everything. I've tried meditation. I've tried yoga, mm-hmm. but nothing. And then you're like, well, have you created boundaries? Have you done this? And they're like, yes. what? Energy cutting? What? And it's like, <laughs> yeah, not all the normal tools that everyone uses actually helps empaths. We actually need separate tools to help us to really ground ourselves and really understand ourselves. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like for someone who has maybe less of a, like a fond trauma response and more of like, let's say a fight response, fight trauma response, where they're angry and irritable and things like that. For them, like when they're like very reactive, like emotion regulation tools that help you to calm down all the time. Those are great to have to work on that. But for someone who's an empath and has like that fond trauma response where it's all about helping other people, um, the healing work isn't so much about like uh, emotion regulation. I mean, maybe centering yourself, sure. um, And working with your nervous system in self-care kind of ways, but it's not about being more calm. It's not about being more emotionally regulated all the time. It's not about like, numbing yourself to feelings. Yeah. You know, it's more about that empowerment work that you're talking about so that people don't feel like a victim Mm. so that they feel like, you know, they actually can set healthy boundaries. They can um, work on their self-care. So really the work is about turning your attention away from other people. You don't have to tune into everyone's suffering all the time. Um, And it's not your job to help everyone but rather to turn all that energy to doing that internal work where you're actually directing a lot of that loving energy toward your inner child because that that's what's getting triggered you know that's the part of us that's looking for um the safety and the protection and the nurturing Mm. and what's fascinating as well is that you know when you first say that to somebody as to an empath oh you need to do the inner work or you need to heal they're like or you need to love yourself. They're like, oh, no, no, but I need to help everybody else. They almost feel like they ha- they have no right to work on themselves. Yeah. It's They feel guilty or ashamed because somebody told them to like, somebody may in their life might have called them selfish, but really they're not the selfish ones. It's the other people that who are saying that yes. are being selfish. Oh, the people who are benefiting from their lack of selfishness, you know, <laughs> for sure would, would, um, would discourage kind of anything as and consider it like selfish but like I think that's a you know the part of the work is healing that wound of unworthiness because people who are you know more self-absorbed or narcissistic or abusive um, not to say that narcissists aren't abusive but but, you know um, there's a spectrum and you know they will make an empath feel like they're never going to be good enough Mm. they're never going to be you know enough for that narcissist and that has nothing to do with actual inherent worth which is always there yeah but rather you know the empath trying to prove their worthiness Mm. um and and really like one of the things that i often see with clients is 
that they will make it their life's mission to try to prove their worthiness to yeah. a narcissist. And they might pick like one narcissist and it's not necessarily like a romantic relationship. Yeah. It could be like a friendship um, or a frenemy. It could be like their nemesis. It could be a boss, but it's proving their worth to, or parent. You know, mm. it could be anyone. Um, proving their worth to someone becomes sort of the, um, or maybe like an insecure attachment where they, you know, from a, in a romantic relationship, they want that person to want them back in the same way. Um, and maybe that's just not happening. And so one of the things I think is so important for empaths is for them to actually, and I'll have clients do this, list all the people in your life who do support you, mm-hmm. who do see actually, you know, your sensitivity as beautiful, who accept you just as you are. And, you know, invariably, like when I have clients do that, there's a decent sized list there. But they're, you know, they tend to be focused because, you know, the, you know there needs to be some healing work around the, the yeah. original relationships, but they tend to focus on that one narcissist <laughs> rather than this long list of supportive people who are yeah. there for them. Yeah. Accept them. Or how they've treated them. They don't, they're, they're, they're doing everything they can, but they're still not getting the love back. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it'll never be enough. So, you know, it's important to just turn away from that. And, you know, that's not a process. That's not easy. It's a process. Mm. But turning that attention toward themselves. And, you know, one of the things is really important is just to recognize um, what a narcissist is or what an unhealthy relationship is, what is, you know, toxic behavior. And just because you can regulate that person's emotions so that they are nicer to you occasionally, um, that doesn't mean that you're really changing their behavior. It means you're calming them down for about five minutes, you know? And so that's not a solution or a long-term solution. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to ask you actually, how, how do you help empaths like to become aware of their trauma? So I know you're saying about narcissists, but how else do you help them to become aware? Um, Usually, you know, people will come in because they recognize that either there's anxiety um, often, or they'll recognize that their relationships maybe aren't as healthy as they could be. Um, you know, often it's because they recognize that they have a boundary issue. I think people are a little bit more aware of these type of things. I think because partially it's, you know, you see it on social media now. So there is more education, which I think is so great um, that people are a little bit more aware that like they need to work on something, but they don't know how. Hmm. Um, so but if that's not the case, maybe they're just coming in for like symptoms of anxiety, or maybe they are kind of aware of some trauma that's getting re-triggered. Um, then it's sort of, I think it depends on the situation, um, you know, but even if it's, let's say it's anxiety, for example, we might notice that what that really means is that there's a, like the way that I work is it's called internal family systems therapy, which is basically like you see different parts of yourself rather than like, you know, just one personality. Mm. Um, We have different facets of our personality that are natural. And so we might look at like an inner child as a a younger um, part of us that's wounded. And so with anxiety, it might be that that younger part doesn't feel safe and is asking to be healed and it's trying to get your attention. And so we would kind of, you know, work our way, you know, sort of down and, and, and um, maybe work with like the protective parts of our, our personality first, and then eventually get to that inner child healing work 
where we look at like, you know, the lack of safety or what does this part need? And to do some healing work around giving that part um, a new experience so that you can actually heal the memory uh, or like the original trauma memory um, and have that part be empowered and more present and so that you can be embodied. Like when we heal these parts, um, we actually, you know, are sort of taking an old memory um, mm. and we're sort of opening it up, working with it to make it, you know, healed um, to sort of, uh, and, you know, there's all kinds of technical ways to explain that, but <laughs> essentially it's, you know, we're bringing that part into the present and unburdening the wound that it has so that the wound can sort of be released. The emotions that were stuck can be released. And then we feel more embodied when we do that type of work because we're no longer stuck mm. in the past. And also, I guess it's with like letting go of the stagnant energy they've had about mm-hmm. that situation for decades that's just somehow stored in the body as well. Whereas yes. when you, um, like, you're like picking it you're like peeling it slowly but you're picking peeling back the layers you actually then actually help your nervous system to like feel relaxed as well and that anxiety or depression suddenly just starts to slowly slowly go away yeah absolutely and it is like a slow process of you know working with those parts of us but yeah it helps with it it helps the nervous system because you know trauma is in the body so releasing those stuck emotions, which are kind of represented as these younger parts of ourselves that were wounded, really, it frees us up so much. And I think that's a part of the work of becoming an empowered empath so that it's less about, you know, sort of um, identifying with like a victim role or um, trying to seek things from people, whether it's mm-hmm. validation or helping them enough so that they're better um, and more about you already feel, you know, um, content, you already feel like all of those, um, you know, you feel embodied, you feel more present. So there's less of a need to actually do something for other people, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I hear what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. God, there's so many more things I could ask you. (laughs) It's fascinating, isn't it? Being an empath, like there's so many layers to us that we didn't really know growing up. And it's only as we start to have that awareness and we understand ourselves that a lot of the things that we grew up with were actually holding us back from really being in our empowered energy. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's, uh, that's really the key is, is, you know, I think, um, you know, like we were saying, like a lot of empaths try to shut things down. I think there's a fantasy that like, if I weren't an empath, (laughs) then I could be, you know, doing this or doing that. Or if I weren't an empath, this is what my life would look like. But really, when we start to embrace the, you know, sort of, I guess you can call it the gift. It doesn't always feel like a gift, but the gift of being an empath um, and really just celebrate those things and, you know, are unapologetic about them. Mm-hmm. I think that's really the key. Then it can just, you know, it makes your life so much rich and like, people really appreciate, I think, the insight of an empath and the ability to hold space for others, um, the rich internal world that an empath can have. I think people do appreciate those things, um, especially once we appreciate them. Yeah. I was just going to say when you're saying people some people are like oh I, I wish I wasn't an empath I get loads of messages saying oh being an empath is a curse and I'm like no it's a gift what are you talking about it's just that you're just stuck right now and you're yeah. not knowing how to use heal the past and then use your tools to help you grow you just haven't learned those things that we 
really should have learned at a young age, to be honest. But unfortunately, our world, uh, as you know, is very uh, emasculated. (laughs) (laughs) There's some balance coming, but we grew up with very masculine like an energy in the world, didn't we? If you think about it, looking back at our childhoods, it was very masculated, the whole power shoulder pads, even women trying to be like men. So obviously naturally the empaths would shut down their emotions in order to try and fit into a society. But really it was never about fitting into society because I've always believed like, there's a reason why we were born sensitive. There's a reason why we were born to be empaths because the divine wanted us or higher power, whatever you want to call it, created us this way. And us ignoring it is basically doing a disservice. <laughs> right. Absolutely. And I think it's really great too, when empaths start to embrace that and to recognize that like the, the feminine is so important and also just balancing the feminine and masculine and, you know, rather than like a toxic masculine kind of energy, <laughs> it's more of a healthy balanced kind of um, energy. I think it's, so empowering too when you see empaths like turning their empath uh skills into like maybe a business being an entrepreneur Mm -hmm. or ways to serve others that feels like service rather than servitude in other words it's like what they want to do it's what they choose to do it's what they enjoy rather than feeling like martyred like oh i have to save the world or i have to do something like no you don't have to do anything actually um but if you enjoy this, like here's a way to do it where you are helping people, but it comes from like a different place. Yeah. And I think a lot of empaths now, like you said, like they're seeing things on social media, they're becoming aware that this kind of nine to five life doesn't fit them because it's it's based on old kind of masculine energy. So yeah. they're trying to find a way, to, like you said, to embrace the feminine side. And that is through creating a business or doing something that nurtures their soul instead of drains them. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think I could ever have that kind of a lifestyle. Like I need like total freedom for like scheduling my flex, you know, being flexible. Like I think a lot of people are really turning to entrepreneurship for that reason, where they kind of want more freedom and, you know, to, as an entrepreneur, you can, as an empath. Now, of course, not everybody has that luxury of being an entrepreneur um, or interest even, but if there's some way that you can work having breaks that are healthy, I think yeah. into your schedule as an empath, that's so important to take that break, to like take a walk, to get out of the office, mm. to go into nature when you can, um, to, you know, take a little meditation break, maybe to just, or to be with animals, mm. whatever it might be for you. I think it's so important to find ways to have that balanced energy, even if you're in an environment where it feels like it's very kind of like that what you described as that's very like (laughs) hustle and like nine to five, you know, it has to, or more than nine to five, like a lot of hours. And it's just, you know, you're working in ways that maybe aren't supportive of your empath, um, you know, traits. Um, I think it's important to try to build in some of that alone time, maybe, or or some of those like um, um, more self-care practices, you know, when possible. Yeah, this to be more like play versus work. I think too much empaths are trying to prove themselves so much through working hard. If I work harder, my boss will notice me, or if I work harder, I'll be super successful. But really, it's it's about balance, like you said. But I guess when you're not aware of your energy as an empath, you end up tipping yourself into the overwork mode instead of actually realizing all you need is is like you said, some relaxation, some meditation, or grounding yourself in nature. 
Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's something that I learned uh, a lot from like Judith Orloff's work is just like a light touch, a light, you know, a little bit goes a long way. We don't have to work so hard. We don't have to, um, we don't have to try to prove our worthiness. You know, I think that, uh, or try to help over help people, Mm. but like a light touch goes a long way. And so it's a lot about balancing that kind of flow, like, like harnessing more that flow energy. Like that's really important to me to try to be more in the flow. And so I know that forcing things never, ever, ever, ever (laughs) works for me. (laughs) Absolutely not. Um, So I I try to be in the flow as much as possible. You know, some things that work for other people um, won't work for you. And so it's important to recognize what works for you and to try to, you know, stay in that flow and, and have like healthy practices, um, that feel kind of like in alignment with who you are. Wow. We're coming towards the end of the show. I've just noticed the time. (laughs) Oh, wow. Um, I've got a few more questions left for you. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And what are your five top tips, um, for empaths who they want to take their power back, but they don't really know where to start. Yeah, I think the first step is recognizing that fond trauma response, which is like almost like, you know, you you could feel it in your nervous system. You could feel it in your body where you want to jump in. Mm. You want to people please. You want to take away someone's suffering. Um, And in those situations, it's important to notice when that happens, when that happens to notice, like, how does that look in my body? How does that feel? And to, um, you know, literally walk away in those situations <laughs> rather than jumping in over helping maybe either pausing mm. or walking away or self-soothing and just doing less so that you let people have their feelings you let people be uncomfortable you don't have to take that away from them actually you know to recognize that that feelings um uncomfortable feelings are a normal part of life you know and i think that the second thing would be to just recognize um, you know, and get comfortable with uncomfortable feelings to, um, or painful feelings, even though it is difficult to, you know, and some ways to do that are to work with like mindfulness based kind of approaches. You know, um, there are a lot of different therapies that are, um, you can do on your own or with a therapist, um, that are mindfulness based that can help you to get comfortable with discomfort, whether it's like uncomfortable emotions or sensations. So, um, some of those are called, um, acceptance and commitment therapy um, or dialectical behavior therapy, different like mindfulness approaches can help us tolerate discomfort. Um, I would say a third thing is to learn to spot narcissists Mm. and spot them early (laughs) if possible (laughs) and to stop feeding them and idealizing them as though maybe they've got the answer. Maybe they know what they're doing because they're so convincing. Right. Mm. And to, you know, find some healthy boundaries with them. Like if you're stuck with them, like if they're your boss or something like that, or to steer clear of them or to just learn how to manage them so that their um, impact on your life is less. Um, if you're stuck kind of in a situation. Um, and I would say the fourth thing is to engage in reparenting. So that inner child work that we're talking about to um, work with those parts of us that are wounded and to show them that we're here for them, that we're gonna protect them and we're going to nurture them. And part of that protection is to protect them from, you know, toxic, harmful people Mm. Um, without, again, without totally villainizing everyone. Like not everyone is toxic, not everyone is harmful, but the people who are 
to be able to protect yourself from that um, and to be able to be a source of your own attachment so that you have a relationship with your inner child parts rather than you know relying on your relationship with maybe unhealthy people um, as a source of your you know attachment and security um, and then the last thing I would say is you know going back to like the main idea which is focusing on yourself you know you don't have to tune into everyone's emotions you don't have to save the world um, you know it's if you are doing it for work, it's more about service than servitude. Um, and to just take all that energy that you put out there in the world and bring it back to yourself. And that that isn't selfish, that's actually, you know, the necessary step because when you're always trying to help other people and fix other people and um, things like that, or regulate, emotionally regulate other people, it actually doesn't do them um, any good in the sense that, sometimes you're even causing more problems than you're, than you're uh, helping in that situation. Yeah. And so really the, the, it's about focusing back on yourself mm-hmm. and letting them have their own journey. They were amazing. And I 100% agree with you on that, that especially last one, that it is, it's about putting yourself first. And I think mm-hmm. oh, you've been, con- like empaths have been conditioned for so long to think yeah. that they need to give, 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 but it's time to, for you to receive. It's time for you to feel perfect, loving and complete and nourished. It's time for you to, to accept yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And you know, with someone else who maybe doesn't have a lot of empathy, the work would be completely different. It would be to teach them empathy skills mm. and um, help them learn how to be vulnerable. Yeah, and to be okay with that. So that would be a different work for someone else. But for someone who's an empath, it's about feeling strength in your vulnerability, Mm. which is very different. Yeah, hundred percent. Wow. And what are you most grateful for? Um, I think you know, with the pandemic, um, something that has something new. I think that has happened is that (laughs) I've just been spending so much more time outdoors. And even when it's cold, which I used to, you know, as a sensory thing, I'd be like, I can't take the cold. (laughs) But now I've been spending so much time in nature, like going for walks in nature, even when it's like cold, I've actually learned to really enjoy it. Even when it's super, super cold, um, it just means warmer clothes. really. But So it's time in nature and and outdoors. I'd say that's something I'm really grateful for. And um, what shines your inner lights? Oh, what shines my inner light? Um, Um, I think just being very connected to that, you know, deepest and highest, most, most authentic part of myself hmm. without spiritually bypassing emotions, hmm. but integrating the two, that is what feels most aligning. And, you know, that feels like it's, it's you know, my uh, highest inner light and, and things like that. So that feels... Uh, really good yeah bless you well thank you Anna for being on the show this was very powerful um I feel thanks like we both for having me bless you <laughs> I was gonna say we felt like we both were just like expanding and growing and sharing together it was beautiful and I really appreciate everything that you're doing for empaths because we do need more empath leaders out there to to help us to really nourish in this unbalanced world <laughs> yeah well this was so much fun thank you so much for having me oh bless you Oh, what an amazing conversation with Anna today. 
it's so amazing when you meet other empaths who have gone through the dark night of the soul and really have discovered their inner light and their power and I'm just so grateful that we were able to share everything today um, and just share the knowledge that we both have that we've that we grew up as empaths and we were born as empaths however we learned to take our power back and learned that there was actually nothing wrong with us there was so much right about us unfortunately that's the end of the show for more information about anna do check out the show notes at www.girdshundle.com and before i leave i want to leave you with this quote you have power over your mind not outside events realize this and you'll find strength that's a quote by marcus aurelis Take care. And remember, stay happy, stay healthy, stay lit. Lit.